you know, leadership and, and child rearing are like really similar, right? Yeah. Like I'll let you get hurt. I'm not going to let you die. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, but I, but I gotta let my kid like, you know, th- I can't prevent them from not falling or tr- bumping into something. Like I cannot prevent that. Yeah. Nor should I, because they'll never learn how to like walk if they don't even try. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I think that's a very difficult balance. Like what is the severity of me not interfering here and then choosing when to interfere. And, and there are moments where people want to be told they're like, I don't know what to do. Right. Or they don't see an issue. And I see it because we have all this experience, right? Like mm-hmm. we've built it. I've been here for, you know, nine, 10 years. I've run lots of companies. I've done lots of consulting. I, I, I know some stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And if I see the train coming and they don't, I'm certainly going to say it, right? Um, and it's for the best interest of the company, which is in their best interest. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to let them do something that I disagree with, right? If it's If I don't think it's going to be catastrophic, like... I'll let you try and maybe you're right. I hope you're right. Like then you like, it's even better. Right. So it's very collaborative. It's not like I'm over here and you guys are all by yourself somewhere and like working. It's still very collaborative, but I'm trying to not choke people with my opinion too. Cause I have so many. Yeah. Yeah. I really do. And, um, I'll let them, I'll let them bump, but I, I won't let them die. <laughs> Wow, I'm feeling so honored right now. I'm getting like this amazing leadership coaching <laughs> in the moment. And parent like, and parenting coaching as well. I was like, yeah. Welcome to the Not Genius Podcast. What's up, guys? My name is Jesse. My name is Josh. And today we're outside of Charlotte in North Carolina. And we got Stephanie Betters in the house. <laughs> Hi. How well, are you're you? in my house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. Thank I know. you for having us. Yeah. Thank you for letting us eat the leftover pancakes. They're really good. <laughs> Tea, coffee. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, honestly, this morning was a little bit rough, but you saved it for us. Oh, good. Well, I've got to feed you. We were trying to make like bacon and eggs on the electric burner, as we were telling you, and it was just not working out for us. (laughs) And then like the power tripped as we had the coffee maker and had the stove and had the light inside the bathroom on. And I was like... And we had the heater on as well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you got some extra chocolate chippy pancakes, like my kids like them, so... Oh, they were amazing. (laughs) Could you tell us a little bit about your origin story? Tell us about who you are, where have you come from, and like where you are today? Oh my goodness, well, yeah. I'm going to try to summarize it. I feel like it's a long story, but um, so uh, I went to college to become a nurse. Um, started working as a nurse uh, right after and thought, I need to do more than this. Uh, but I had met my husband in undergrad at the time, and we got married right after so I didn't want to go to medical school. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to school to be a nurse practitioner. Um, and really, because we got married so young, right out of undergrad, we didn't have any money. We had, mm-hmm. in fact, quite a bit of debt. Um, so we decided to flip a house. So he convinced me to do that. This was back in 07. And I was like, this is not really the house that I dreamed of when we would move in together. You know, it was a foreclosed mess with mold, etc. We lived in this thing to flip it, uh, and we sold it right before the market crashed, like literally wow. weeks before. We sold it, and two weeks later, the local um, employer, which was IBM in upstate New York, they laid everybody off. So like the market just it just went crazy. And then we went to grad school. So we, thankfully, we made a really nice profit. We put that in a CD, went to grad school, got the dream jobs, um, You know, moved to Charlotte here specifically because of the real estate market. Because Zach, at the time, my husband, said, I want to do that again. I want to, like, flip more houses. And I was thinking, like, I just want, like, to work my job and have babies. And this is not really what I'm thinking. But, like, this is was not the plan, right? But 
it was fun. We made money and he really wanted to do it. So I was like, okay, let's move somewhere where our family will move with, you know, will follow us and that has a good real estate market. We'll kind of get established in our careers and then we'll start again. So that's basically what we did. We analyzed a lot of different markets. Um, our family was everywhere. So it was really just somewhere warm where they could retire and near a, an international airport so that we could travel, um, relatively inexpensively. Um, and, uh, Charlotte was a place. So we, we moved here in 2011 and had a couple more kids and then really restarted. We bought a rental in 2014 and really shortly after that we started the company. We took a HELOC out on our house. Um, it had appreciated over the, those couple of years um, and started our company. So we bought another rental and we bought a flip. We started raising some private money at the hospital um, just by talking about real estate with some of the doctors we were working with and stuff. And um, just one after the other, like bought more flips. And then we had our, all of our crews were really busy. At one time we had three flips going at once. It's funny, but at the time then it was like just super overwhelming and, uh, we were marketing and got more deals and you know, we had heard about wholesaling. So we're like, okay, maybe this is a good time. Like I really want to do this deal. I don't, but I don't want to let this homeowner down, but if I buy it, it's going to sit for a few months because our crews are a mess. So we did our first wholesale deal and I was like, that was pretty good. That was nice, you know? So let's do more of that too. So then we started wholesaling and flipping. Um, and then, you know, that was, that was going pretty well. Uh, and then in 2018, we decided to merge with a friend here. Uh, and his name is Jeff. He was doing new builds. Um, so we thought, well, that'll be, that'll be a really nice three-legged stool. You know, we'll have new builds, we'll have flips, we'll have wholesales. You know, we brought that side to the table. He brought the new builds to the table and it felt like a really good symbiotic type partnership. And it has been. It's been amazing. Um, so, you know, we, we increased our marketing. And then we started struggling with systems, you know, um, growing our team, trying to keep everybody, you know, accountable, but then also trying to measure. Um, I was a COO at the time. Zach, my husband, was a CEO. Um, we ran into a lot of uh, interesting obstacles just being married to each other and being business partners and not having full control of the company. Um, so some interesting things were born along the way, you know, um, first problem we had was, was marketing. So, um, we started Facebook marketing, um, and got all, that was in 2016, uh, 2016, uh, Facebook was very new for marketing. So everyone was like, there are motivated sellers aren't on Facebook. You're not going to find them there. Um, but we did, and we were pretty successful with Facebook marketing ever since. Um, so we started a little boutique Facebook marketing company for other investors for motivated sellers. So that's been, that was really fun. And, uh, you know, systems, uh, really 20, I'm trying to think when the year I lost my mind was 2019, <laughs> 2019, I had like a huge emotional breakdown because our CRM was not working. Like it would crash and I had, didn't have any good data. And I kind of found myself at this point where like I was hiring two people to take data out of my, out of my CRM to put it on a spreadsheet so I could like interpret, did this marketing channel work, you know, mm -hmm. that we're spending all this money on, like, is this working? And I, the data was wrong. And I was just like, what the heck are we doing? Like, I can't measure anything. I literally don't know what to do. Like, I can't predict what's going to work. I can't even tell if something is working and like leads were falling through the cracks. So uh, that's when I just like snapped basically. <laughs> it really wasn't pretty. It was like, what is the number one CRM in the world? I'm just going to go like get that. And like, we're going to go from there. I'm tired of like Podio and all these other things. Right. So that definitely was Salesforce. Um, 
indisputably like number one CRM. Um, but uh, you know, looking at the entry, like out of the box Salesforce, first of all, it's super expensive per user. It was $150 per user for retail price. And, uh, it was really expensive to get a developer to build out what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, I went through a lot there with like discovery calls, the different developers and, Literally, they're like, okay, it'll be $100,000 in six months, and then you'll be able to log in. So then I had another breakdown (laughs) on the Zoom call where they're presenting it. I'm like, I'm just going to do it myself. So in 2019, I built our own Salesforce um, application completely. I, you know, taught myself how to code and and got it (laughs) built out and launched within three months. And literally came, came down to like just really intense anger. Like I was so mad that we didn't have this tool. Yeah, it was bad. Zach, uh, I was like, Zach, this is what I'm doing. Like literally straight for three months, I'm going to build this. Um, And then we launched it and that really reached a new level in our company. Mm -hmm. So 2019 was a really, really key year um, because we finally got control of our data. Um, And then at that time we were doing about 50 deals a year. The next year we did 200. And the next year we did 250 or more. I can't remember. So like it made a huge difference. And I actually spent less money on marketing. We were spending $60,000 a month on marketing in 2019 and just like throwing it away. See, like, is money going to come back? Is leads going to call? Like, I just didn't even know it worked, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we spent, I think last year, we averaged like $30,000 uh, a month in marketing. Uh, and a lot of that was like R&D, just trying new things. And then this month, we spent ten on marketing. Wow. Oh so like, you know, what, what can happen with efficiency is insane. So, you know, that's kind of my quick and dirty yeah. <laughs> story, I think. I try to hit the highlights, but... Um, obviously a lot of like stumbling and pain along the way, um, but some kind of really cool key breakthroughs that mm-hmm. really made a big difference for us. Yeah. That was an amazing synopsis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want to pull it back and go back to when you guys were leaving New York yeah. and has your husband Zach ever worked for somebody else or were you, was there anything holding you guys back from picking another destination to establish your family or what were the other options besides Charlotte? Uh, so we looked at Raleigh, Jacksonville, um, Florida, uh, Tampa, and Austin, Texas. Those were kind of our big markets that we were that we were looking at for real estate. Um, but yeah, I mean, we both worked for other people, so we both worked for big hospital systems. Um, we we chose Charlotte specifically market wise, like market health wise, because we felt like it was a few years behind the Raleigh Durham market. Um, even through '08, it seemed like Charlotte was just a little bit behind. Um, as far as market growth goes, I was like, oh, it's kind of like a cheat code. Like that, what that market did, mm-hmm. this one did a few years like later, you know? And same thing with Jacksonville. Jack- Charlotte and Jacksonville were both really similar and had really steady growth. Um, great job markets too. Charlotte has like, you know, Bank of America and Wells Fargo here as, you know, huge employers um, and all like well-paying jobs. Um, and also it kind of intersects like being close to the beach, being close to the mountains. Um, a lot of people from up North were migrating down here just in general for tax savings and weather, et cetera. Kind of like same thing with us, you know, we wanted yeah. a nice weather and, you know, um, lots of different things to do locally, like, you know, easy access to beach and mountains kind of thing. Um, so Charlotte kind of hit all those spots and that's why we chose it. Uh, but when we moved here, we both, I mean, we did not start our company for a year, three years later. So at first we just worked for the hospital. So I worked for a big hospital company called Novant Health, um, where my specialty was heart surgery. 
and Zach worked for Atrium Health, which was did urgent care. Um, he left uh, medicine. I want to say, let me, let me think. I think twenty, either twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen, and I didn't leave until just this year. So yeah, we both worked for other people for a really long time and built this thing up in the meantime. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, when we were talking in the kitchen before, you said you got married when you were 21. Mm-hmm. How long were you guys like dating and when did you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you want our question. love story? I do. I love yeah. Okay, I'll tell you our love story. Um, so I was 19 when I met Zach, actually. Uh, we were going to Binghamton University. Um, I was incredibly nerdy, as you can probably guess. Um, and we both volunteered for this ambulance company that was on campus. And so, and I was like into it. Like I was, I had the radio on, I had wore the swag, <laughs> I, got, I was into it. Um, and he, he was too, but not as ridiculous as I was. Like I, I really was insane with it. <laughs> um, but so I had just taken a 911 call and, um, went back to the squad room to just document all my stuff and he was just coming on shift. So he came up to me and said, Hey, I'm Zach. And I was like, Oh, betters. I had heard of him. Um, and I was in the middle of like a lot of stuff kind of personally then, like, first of all, I was super young. I had gotten out of a really long relationship. Um, I had a high school sweetheart that I had known since I was five. We had broken up like six months previously. And I was like, I don't want to commit. I just want to date. I want to have fun. I want to like do this ambulance stuff. But I met Zach and I was like, oh my God, I just met my husband. I don't know what to do. (laughs) Like I told my friend, my friend Jackie was with me that day and I, we went outside and I was like, that was my husband. I don't know why I know this, but like, that's him. <laughs> what do I do? And she's like, well, give me your phone number. I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm not going to give him my phone number. He's got to ask. <laughs> so, um, I, I just meant, I like name dropped that I was on Facebook and Facebook at that time, you know, was relatively new. It was 2005. So I think it was still just for college kids then, but I was like, oh, I'm going to just check my Facebook. And, and, uh, that was it. And then he messaged me on Facebook later. He took the bait and, uh, we started dating um, probably a month or so later. Uh, we talked a lot and we were friends for a little bit. And um, I knew like right away though, like that this was going to be my husband. And he said the same thing. He he had the same experience with his friend that like his that he was on shift with. He told his name was Leo. <laughs> He's like Leo. That's that's the one. It was, it was really funny. I don't know why we both knew that so young. Um, but then we got engaged nine months later, and then married right after we graduated college. And that was crazy at the time. Like all of our friends were like, are you kidding? You're 20 years old and you're engaged. Like, don't you just want to like date people or travel or you're nuts. Are you pregnant? And I'm like, no, none of those things things are true. Uh, I just know. And I just felt like I want to be able to say I've been married to this guy for 70 years. You know, like I just felt like I know this is the rest of my life and I just wanted to start as soon as possible. (laughs) You know, Mm. it was just so certain. And my family surprisingly didn't give me that much crap about it. You really? think, I think about that now. I'm like, Oh my gosh, if my kid told me that I'll be like, Charlotte, you know, you met her. She's 13. You know, can you imagine meeting your husband just like a few years later? I would have told her the same thing, like graduate college and like, you know, live your life a little bit before you decide. But my family actually was very supportive. They all loved him. And, um, I was so certain that there was nothing you could have said to me anyway. So hmm. here we are. We've been together 17 years. And married for 15. Wow. Three kids. That's like an uncannily 
similar story to my wife and I because we yeah. met we met over Facebook. Oh. We met over Facebook, and she was across the country, but uh, in Los Angeles. Oh wow! And then five months later, she moved over to Delaware, out of all places. That's funny. And then we got ma- uh, we got engaged like a year later, yep. and then married a year after that. Yep. And she was twenty one. <laughs> yep. Yeah. When you know, you know. Yeah, I, know. It, I was so certain and I still am like there's still I have zero regrets I'm still extremely in love with him I love the life that we built together and we're we kind of now we kind of just grew up together you know and I think it's a I don't know I think there's different um, struggles depending on when you meet and get married you know for us I think what's dangerous when you're young and get married is you don't truly know who you are yet and you're kind of at the beginning of your career so you have to be really intentional about like growing together and like choosing to grow together. Um, but you're so flexible that like you don't have like a ton of baggage or like really rigid things. Like this is how I like my life and this is how I do my day. You don't have any of that because mm-hmm. you're just so young. And I think when you're older, you may be a little bit more sure of who you are and what you want. But then you have a lot of rigid rules and like you have an established career that you can't really bend or whatever it is, right? So I think no matter where you are, there's different pros and cons or struggles that you'll have but for us it was really how do we grow together and how do we you know stay together and uh we're both pretty adaptable people and um really excited to be on an adventure together so it worked out you know and now I mean I was actually talking to my mom about this recently I was 17 when I moved out I went to college and I've been with my husband for 17 years. So like I've been with him as long as I've been with my mom. And that was kind of weird. Uh. Right? I was like, whoa, it's half my life. Half, you know? So anyway, uh, that's our that's our love story. <laughs> so how did you, did you always have the confidence that maybe you have now? Or was that something that you had to develop over time? Because you had to move from New York to this totally different market or like totally different area. And you were picking like based off of you know, certain criteria that you wanted. Yeah. So I, that takes a lot of faith and a lot of trust. Yeah. I was wondering what was going through your mind at that time. And did you like develop that confidence or did you always have it? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, definitely a little bit of both. I think, you know, something I, I learned in college, um, you know, I, w- I was feeling a little bit rebellious at that time. I, you know, moved very far away from my family and I felt like that was my chance to figure it out. You know, like I, when I left, I was just kind of mad. And I think maybe everybody is to some <laughs> extent, you know, like you want to do your own thing. And I think there's, it's healthy to want to have that little bit of fire in your belly. But I did. I definitely had like this fire in my belly. I'm like, I'm going to like establish my life. Right. And I just, I went across the country. I went actually my freshman year of college, I went to Buffalo from, from Connecticut, which was pretty far away. And I didn't come back home until Christmas. So it was like the first time I was really like on my own. And really what that, what that taught me was that I can figure it out. Like I'll figure it out, you know, and I will. And I kind of developed that like self, um, yeah, I guess that self-confidence. So like there's always a way, you know, Mm -hmm. and Zach is very much that way too. Um, that he's kind of like a figure it out kind of guy. And I remember being, so attracted to that when we first started dating, I was like, this is a guy who will figure it out. And I remember being like, yeah, I want to be with someone who will figure it out, you know, and, and we'll figure it out together. Um, so we already kind of had that, you know, in our, in our back pocket, but it still continued to grow because I think you, once you do figure it out, then you get a little more confidence, right? Like I remember that first feeling of like figuring it out was like buying my own computer. 
Like, no one helped me. I worked. I bought my own computer. And I was like, oh, that felt so good to be able to do that myself, you know? And then the next one was like, you know, we were we were moving in together. And, you know, before I could fit all my stuff in a car. Like, I never needed anything else. But now I had, like, more stuff. And I was like, how am I going to get this to the apartment? And I, like, rented a, a U-Haul all by myself. And I remember being like, that was cool. Like, I went to the U-Haul by myself, you know? So I think, like, along the way, you just kind of, like, re-up that confidence that you can figure it out. Um, so, you know, by the time we got um, to the decision of moving to Charlotte, that was a huge leap of faith, but we both felt very called to that. Like, this is the right thing. Like, we just had a little bit of just certainty in general that this is this was right. And then I knew that between the two of us, like, we would figure it out. So I really wasn't scared. I was excited, you know? Yeah. And then you know things continue from there and we were we got our little like carrots along the way that like okay this is the right decision and like things just worked out you know Mm -hmm. obviously we put the work in to do it but um we got that reward back Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. so were you guys part of any christian ministries when you guys were in college together or like where was your guys's faith at the beginning of the relationship and how has it progressed yeah oh good question um I grew up Catholic. Zach grew up Christian, like mm-hmm. non-denominational, mm-hmm. maybe Baptist. I think his church was Baptist. Um, I actually had never gone to a non-Catholic church until college. Um, you know, my the, my faith journey has always been, you know, growing up, I was like this. I'd never really connected to Catholicism. I felt like there was a lot of rules and I never felt quite connected to the text. I don't know really why. I mean, it is the same text, right? But I... I, I had very strong faith that there is a God and I just didn't know how to connect to it. I think that that was kind of lacking a little bit. And then, um, when Zach and I met, he brought me to the church he was going to at the time, which was a non-denominational church. Um, I want to say, I think it was also Baptist and it was in Johnson city, you know, New York. And I was like blown away. Like this was am- like, that sermon was amazing. I was like, I've never had any, I've never experienced anything like this before. I feel totally like I can relate to this. And, um, it was just an amazing message. So we kept going to that church and, um, I felt more and more connected. We really weren't part of a Christian ministry at that time, other than just going to church and, uh, being a, you know, a community member. Um, when we got engaged, we did premarital counseling with our pastor there, which was really awesome. Mm-hmm. That was, we really learned a lot and I was scared to go. I'm like, are they going to judge us? You know, I don't know. You know, cause we had, we we're like living together while we were engaged. I'm like, they're going to tell me I'm a sinner. You know, <laughs> he, totally wasn't. he didn't even ask, but I remember being so nervous. And what was really cool is that it was not about like condemnation, right? Mm-hmm. Like it was more about like, obviously walking in the word, but, um, connected being, just being connected to the word. And so it was, mm-hmm. re- it was really cool. And, uh, we didn't do our first mission until we moved down here. And then we started doing, um, um, medical missions. Okay. So, medical yeah. missions. Yeah, like we go to Honduras uh, uh, and uh, and do some and run a clinic. That's it, awesome. it got a little bit disturbed by COVID. COVID. Mm. So, um, this next one will be the one that we go to again. It's been a couple of years. What are those experiences like? How does it change or add more perspective living in the states? Oh my gosh! I mean, it just we're so blessed. We have so much opportunity here. We have so much access to care, to medicine, to resources. It's it's this a huge contrast, um, and I think we're obligated to to give back and to try to outreach into other communities and and pull them up too because we have just access to so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, like we go in our in our kitchen and open the faucet to clean water. Like people don't have that in this world. Like 
it's we <laughs> you know we have toilets and um, plumbing you know um where other countries really really don't have that so we take so much of what we have for granted just on a really basic level mm-hmm. let alone other resources so it's a blessing to be able to go and give back um, this medical mission I really like because it's not just like a hit and run. Like it's a very consistent give to this community. Like we have food bag programs and deworming programs because, um, the water's not clean. So there's a lot of worms and intestinal problems and which causes anemia and anemia causes, you know, difficulty learning for kids. And it's just like this the nutrition just like takes a hit, right. And, and everything in your life can change. So we have a lot of stuff that stays in place. And then every year there's a medical clinic that gets opened up that I go to. Um, and, you know, a bunch of nurses will go. Um, sometimes we'll have a doctor. Sometimes we won't. The last time we went it was just Zach and I who ran it with a bunch of nurses, which is amazing. And, you know, we bring medicine. We bring shoes, clothes, glasses. Um, and then we have, like, a big food bag program while we're there, too. It's really special. And it is super overwhelming because, I mean, we go to a very indigenous place, um, in Honduras on the, on the East coast. And, um, uh, it's called Puerto Lumpira. So you have to, it's, it's very isolated community mm-hmm. and there's a lot of indigenous, um, uh, people who live there on top of it. So it's not even, it's not even Spanish. It's, um, it's called uh, mesquite. So mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. we have to get all, all kinds of cool translators and stuff. So anyway, it's, it's really rewarding. You go there and there's literally a thousand people at your door and you wow. see, we saw a thousand people in a week which was oh my gosh. incredibly overwhelming. So it's generally like a mama who's probably 20 years old with five children. Wow. And they all have, you know, belly pain or headaches. And same with mom. And it's all generally right around um, around uh, nutrition. Um, but there's also a lot of really interesting pathology that people, mm-hmm. that people pass away from um, too for no reason that would never die in the States that they die of there. So yeah, like cleft palate. Like mm-hmm. you would just, you would just not never survive as an infant because mm. you can't eat properly, you know? So things like that. So it's, it's really cool and rewarding to go and, and provide a little bit there, you know? You sound really passionate about <laughs> yeah. this whole thing. I am. I'm super passionate about it. That's awesome. Now, uh, were you guys going as you're building up the businesses mm-hmm. and how are you kind of balancing that? It's, it was only like a week at a time? Is For a week, yeah. Okay. Well, a little over a week. I think like 10 days. Okay. Mm-hmm. And like... Were you working on the business in those 10 days or were you just letting everyone know, hey, I'm in Honduras, I can't really help out? (laughs) Well, so, you know, I think that kind of plays into how people wonder, like, how you do this with, like, a W-2 job, right? Mm -hmm. So having events like that that are, like, non-negotiables. So, like, when I'm at the hospital, it's non-negotiable. I'm not reachable. Mm -hmm. Um, And when we do these mission trips, it's one week a year, week and a half a year. They're non-negotiables. I'm not reachable then. So we really, it really forced us to, when we had a W-2, to put people in place and to hire and to hire appropriately so that, you know, the business didn't stop when we were away and doing these kinds of things, you know? Um, so it, yeah, the, the business continued. We would check in on the internet, you know, those were still time, like the, some of the years we were there, things were not set up, you know, and that people needed input from us or, you know, answers from us about how to do things. And they would have to just kind of figure it out a little bit and then wait for us to respond via internet when we got internet. So um, there were some years where it was messy, some years that there was not a single blip on the system, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but hiring and systems and, and processes, that's what changed everything and allowed us to have a life outside of our business. How did you get introduced into the medical missions 
thing because it's like you found something that's very yeah that you find a lot of passion and fulfillment inside of and yeah. i kind of want to ask for the other people it's like how do they find these things for themselves that fulfill themselves yeah well this just so happened one of the nurses at the hospital i was working mm-hmm. at her name is gina she had been like following up with me about this for years <laughs> she's like when are you gonna come with us when are you gonna come I was like, my kids are so little or I can't get away right now, you know? And then one, one year she's like, we're going, are you coming? And I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. So she actually uh, introduced me to it and it was through her church. So I think you can probably find a lot just through your church um, and the, the, you know, your network like that. You'd be surprised how many things are in, are in the works. Um, mm-hmm. So I would just start by outreaching to your community and, and asking what's already in place mm-hmm. Um, and then if there's not something in place, you can always start it, you know, um, making a couple phone calls, uh, goes a really long way. Are there any initiatives like that in the future that you would want to start? Or do you really like where you're at with the medical missions yeah. and like this specific Honduras program? I would really love to source heart valves for people outside the U S hmm. um, there's a lot of charity work that can be done, um, with people who need, uh, so heart valves are important to me because heart surgery is like my, my love. Um, but you know, a lot of people who have uh, val- heart valve disease that don't live in the U S they die young because they, you know, heart failure and lots of different complications because they don't have access to a heart surgeon. Uh, and it's not just heart surgery and the surgery itself, but it's a lot of the aftercare too. And like the rehab, et cetera. So you can't like just drop into a country, do a valve replacement and then like leave that doesn't fix the, the problem, right? Like mm-hmm. they need rehab and all the other ancillary services after a procedure like that. So what we can do, and we've done a couple at, at the hospital I used to work at. I didn't, I didn't do, I didn't organize it, but I was like, I kind of was introduced that it was possible. But basically, you can apply for uh, charity, charity care, and then the the patient gets flown in and gets taken care of and lives in the states for three months after surgery, and then they return home. So I was like, how cool would it be if I could help that, help do that, and source mm-hmm. heart valves? So um, that's on the that's on my vision board. I haven't gotten to it yet, but I would love to do something like that. Wow, that sounds like a really big mission. Yeah, yeah that's really, really cool. awesome. Yeah. What's the cost for that? For heart valve surgery? Or just like to fly that whole, whole three process. months? Yeah, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's extremely expensive. You know, the surgery itself, the the valve, the anesthesia, then the hospital stay, and then the post-op stay. It's really expensive. So you can imagine, I mean, people just don't get it, you know? Yeah. How big? How- no, 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 ask, your ask your question. Ask your question. Well, I mean, I'm just curious because, um, I mean, going back, like, because you work with your husband, right? Yeah. There's like, like, what are the best parts of working with, like, your spouse, and what are like your biggest struggles, and like, how do you overcome those struggles? Yeah, that's a really great question. It's been, um, we've had a lot of pros and cons with working with each other. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, so pros are, is that you're in this together, you know, like you truly understand the, the, the gamut, right? Like you're, you don't have to explain the context to somebody, um, of like, Hey, this is, this really sucked because this X, Y, Z happened, right? You can just be like, that sucked, you know, and you're, and you're in it together. Um, and I think there's a lot of healthy synergy that your successful or healthy relationship could bring to a business, right? I mean, you know how to work together, the teamwork, the collaboration, um, you're compatible in that sense too, which is great. Um, but on the negative side, there's no escape, you know, as, <laughs> as you guys know, like entrepreneurship takes over. I mean, it becomes your personal life. It becomes what you talk about and you think about and you worry about. And, um, 
you know, it's, it's challenging to separate it then and to have any respite. Um, and I, we struggled a lot with that when we had the CEO COO relationship because he was always full of these ideas and this vision and he wanted to like express it and dump it somewhere. Right. (laughs) And then I can't help but do it. Like I, and, and actually it's, it's kind of like how your strengths are also your weaknesses. Like I can take an idea and I can grow it. Like I can grow something. I can, I can put systems together. I can execute. Like that's what I'm really good at. Um, and he's really good at ideas. So when he has a really good idea and I'm like, that's a good idea. I can't help but actually do it. And I will work myself to the point where like it hurts myself, like where I sacrifice all my time with my, my kids and my family. And like, I just think about it all the time and I'm executing, executing. So it got to a, p- a point where I would like hide from him. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. like, I can't, I just can't hear your ideas right now. Like I just can't, I'm still doing that thing that we talked about before. Like I'm still doing that. And like, you're messing me up because you're telling me these things. Mm. So I would be like in the bathroom with the door closed, you know, like, <laughs> and he'd be like, Stephanie, like, I just can't, I'm in the bathroom. You can't reach me here. <laughs> and so it became a point like after years where it like, resentment almost came into the picture. I was like, I, I started getting mad about his ideas because I was like so overwhelmed because I'm trying to do them still and he's having more and, and he had, um, you know, like things to add or suggestions on how we could improve. And I would just be so mad. Right. (laughs) So we had to be extremely open and real with each other about like how we felt. And that was really challenging to like escape the work side and just have a life, you know? So we put on the map that like eventually we shouldn't be working like this closely together. Right. So, um, what became healthy for us was to kind of, for one of us to leave like the everyday operation. So I decided that would be me. And this was like in 2019, right after we got all the systems and everything built, I was like, okay, I feel like it's finally on the horizon. Like I can give this to somebody else on our team to continue from here. Like I feel safe in removing myself and that was a big thing to come to because we were all in. I mean, like all in personally, financially, like it could not fail. Right. So it was really scary to step out. Um, but I was like, okay, I I feel like this is the closest we've ever been for me to be able to step out. So what we did at the end of 2019 is we promoted our our project management department chair who was running all of our new builds and the flip, you know, the wholesale stuff and all, he was doing a great job and we promoted him to COO in January of 2020. And I like stepped out and I was just going to be in the owner's box. I still ran like the technology stack, but I did not have any like day to day, um, operations. And that really helped my relationship with Zach because now there was somebody else he could like dump his ideas on. (laughs) (laughs) And you know how it is with your spouse. Like you're just like, I would never treat somebody else the way I treat my husband in that sense. Like if you're frustrated with somebody, like they just get it all like, well, and then this, and then from 10 years ago, you did that. And then the kids, (laughs) and it all comes into like the, you know, the, the argument, I would never talk to somebody else like that. I would be, I would say, listen, I need you to like, give me three minutes. I got to like digest this or can let's, can we table this? But you don't talk to that with like each other, you know, and vice versa. He would do the same to me, right? He would never dump on somebody else, all the ideas and the updates or whatever, like, because there would be a natural boundary, but there was none of that. So it really, really helped us establish better boundaries and, um, just some space to have a traditional life. So that was, that was helpful. And, and that, that, that continues. So just so happens 2020 is also when left Maine got the partnership with Salesforce, um, which was a pleasant surprise. And, you know, 
I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do the left main stuff and we'll just kind of see where this goes. I really enjoy this. And, you know, I'll advise Better Path Homes and I'll kind of be here in the background. I'll help Matt, who's the COO. I'm like, I'll help train him and I'll just kind of take a back step and I'll be more present for the family. Um, and, you know, COVID hit. We, you know, did a little more there with like, you know, everything kind of hit the fan then. So we did, I, I was a little more involved there for a month or two when we were trying to figure out how we were going to do this. And then I stepped back out um, and ran Left Main and then Left Main took off. Left Main had an incredible adoption and has been busy. So now, the present day, um, I'm the CEO of Left Main. He's the CEO of Better Path. And we're like board of directors for each other. And that has been like the healthiest thing to do. Wow. <laughs> you know? Because I value his opinion so much and, and he values mine. And now there's enough of an obstacle that or enough of boundary that um, I can be like really stressed. And he can be like, all right this is what I think you should do. And I think you're, you're going to figure it out. And same thing with him. Like, and there's like, a, we don't have to go into the whole day thing. It's just consultive, which is, I think the healthiest place we've been in, in a business marriage combination. Yeah. Yeah. I felt so convicted when you said, <laughs> Oh, your husband just dumped all your ideas to the point that you have to run to the restroom. And then it's like, <laughs> I'm, in my own, I'm in my own world now. Stop. Yeah. Because yeah. sometimes I'll be downstairs and then I'm screaming at Irene and like, hey, I have this going on. She's like, the fan is too loud. Yeah, exactly. I'm, it's like, don't talk to me. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'll wait for you to come out. And then she never comes out. She's like, I'm doing my hair. Right, like, right. Just let me have my own time. <laughs> I just need, I just need my brain. Yeah. 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 And it's like, I can relate to all these things that you're saying. Like me being in the present moment because josh is like my work husband yeah. and irene is my wife <laughs> right and it's just like she deals with the finances josh deals with the marketing and sales operations and then i'm coming up with ideas talking to people bringing them back to the nest and i'm just yeah. like guys this is great we need to do this right and they're just like we need to finish this this and that that you said last week that we right. need to do yeah you need a notebook mm. notebooks are helpful just notebooks. write everything in your notebook because i think what's really what's really healthy about that role is that you just do have to dump it out. Like so you just have to bounce it off something, but like you can't have it just be one person almost like it's, you need almost like a filter first and then, so like write it all down, dump everything out there, do a voice recording, whatever it is. Cause part of your anxiety is if you don't, you're going to forget it. So just find some way to dump it and then like wait a couple days. Even it's just a couple days, like the world's not going to end. And then do you still feel really passionate about it? Then talk about it. Mm -hmm. that's that's been really helpful you know i'm really glad you spoke on that topic because the next stage is probably resentment for me like <laughs> towards me yeah. and probably outward as well and it's like if i did not get a grasp of the way that i'm operating today yeah maybe like unspoken resentment will just start building against me i'm just like guys we still gotta do this idea and it's like yeah yeah she's just gonna walk out and vice versa i mean you can get resentful too that no one's listening to you or like mm -hmm. they know you know that we're missing out on so much opportunity i mean resentment can creep in and it, it's like kind of like a slow fade it just takes years to get there and then you're like oh my gosh i'm so mad and i don't know why so i think it's important for married couples to draw some sort of line in the sand in the future right like mm -hmm. okay what do we need to hit so that we don't have to do this together at this level so deeply forever? You know what I mean? Um, and I think that's different for many, many people. Maybe you don't ever get there. Maybe, maybe you don't, but I would encourage you to just articulate what the line is because then when you get there, you're like, okay, we did it. Now we can, like, there's other things in life too. We have to make sure that we're living our life, you know, 
Yeah. So that, that was really helpful for us to do. I love that topic because a lot of people are just like, oh, you know, rocket fuel, visionary, integrator. And then there's just, there just needs to be a balance in yeah. all that. There needs to be a system because you can't just be the visionary dumping 30 ideas every single day for like months on end with an, with one implementer. Right. Right. So, yeah, that really resonated a whole lot with me. Good. And it's just like, this is a stage in the entrepreneurial journey where it's like, okay, we were talking earlier about being a hustler and then being very systematic and trying to be um, a, a great business owner right a leader within your organization rather yeah. than like right now one of my biggest struggles is butting into several different lanes it's like oh how are the finances doing i don't get an answer right away i'm drilling into the the quickbooks and i'm yeah. clicking on everything it's just like stop touching it yeah i changed the password uh, one day and she was like i'm locked out for 30 minutes because of you and i was like <laughs> oh. <laughs> I guess I one of my biggest problems is just stepping into other people's lanes and yeah. like I need to do a better job at just trusting them, letting them do their thing and just give them the time to respond to me. Yeah. Yeah. No one's ever gonna move as fast as you want them to. It's just it yeah. is not gonna happen. But I think that um it, it it sets you up for being healthy because this is a long game. This this is a marathon. It mm-hmm. really is and and there is a portion of this marathon where we sprint and it's maybe the first couple of years but you have to find to, your, a way to get out of that hustle and into a more more systematic operation because you're going to burn out otherwise. What, what, something that I've learned a lot the last nearly 10 years now, since we started, nine years since we started our company, is stamina, both professionally and personally. You know, there's always going to be a fire. There's always a huge opportunity we can't miss. There's always a contract that's going to blow up, right? Like, it is part of the game. Like, it just is. So having some emotional stamina to deal with it, like that not everything is going to crash and burn your entire family and your life and your children and you're going to lose everything. Like, you can't put that on every possible decision. Like, you, at some point, you can't. It's just going to be messed up and you're going to figure it out. Um, And then it also gives you the freedom to that. You don't have to grow 300% 300% year over year over year, you're going to get to a point after a couple of years of business that you're going to grow 15%, 20% year over year. And that is extremely healthy. If you were a publicly traded company, you'd be a millionaire, right? If with that kind of growth, your stocks would go up. So kind of getting you into that systematic approach will make you feel a lot healthier. You know, you'll be able to sleep at night and not have everything on the line all the time. And mm-hmm. that may mean that you have to put some ideas on the back burner. Like, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to do that this year. We're not going to do that right now Um, because what business success actually ends up coming down to is very basic execution. It's not about capitalizing every possible opportunity. It's just very like basic. Yes. Block and tackle. Like what, how do we, how do we close on contracts, you know, consistently we talk to leads, we set appointments, we we close deals. Like you got to be able to do those basic things first uh, and then consistently and that's it. Like, and then maybe you have a couple big initiatives a year. That's all it takes. That's all it takes to like 20x, you know? But I think what people do is they get so obsessed and dazzled by all the opportunity around them. Once they once they start seeing opportunity, you see it everywhere, right? Like I was thinking about starting a zipper company the other day. Why? I don't know. Like, why does XYZ have the market share on zippers? Well, you know, how you, know, you see it everywhere once you see it once. So like what you realize though is that like that opportunity will choke you. Like, that is what actually will take you out is that dazzlement and that lot lock lack of focus 
you literally will choke on opportunity before you ever become successful on that one shot you got. So that that's that like emotional and personal stamina. You just have to like mm-hmm. stick with the basics. It doesn't become sexy, but it becomes boring. Yeah. And we we introduce chaos because we're yeah. kind of bored. But I'd rather be a bored millionaire. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, that's what Clint and Tyler told me when they went to CJ. It's like these guys they have two hundred doors, three hundred doors, thousand doors. Because they stuck with it for a long period of time. They Absolutely. innovated little by little. Yep. And whenever, you know, a giant tidal wave turbulence comes in, they adapt to it. They got better through mm-hmm. the recession or whatever storm they were in. And they were just able to constantly adapt and innovate. They stayed in the game long enough yep. to re- receive the effects of the compound effect. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. And that, that starts catching up to you, that compound effect. Just that consistency. Yeah. That's it, like the secret, but no one wants to accept that that's the secret. Yeah. Exactly right. I think that the the two secrets are like get started, like have enough gall just to like do it, like Mm -hmm. jump, right? Mm -hmm. And then be consistent. That's Mm -hmm. it. Like you'll find the opportunity will appear from just you consistently being present and consistently following your goals Mm -hmm. and and achieving your goals and then feeling that like renewed self-confidence when you when you accomplish it, you're like, oh, I can do it. Right. And then like you do you do it some more and then like you get that feedback loop of like Oh, I got my I got my outcome that I that I wished for. I feel so good about it, and they just like it kind of fuels you instead of starting new and then like not finishing and starting new and not finishing. You know. Mm-hmm. This was a breakout question or a breakout circle question at CG the last time I was there, and they were talking about like okay, get into your groups of four or five and talk about what keeps you up at night. So I wanted to ask you like in the past, like what has kept you up at night, and like nowadays, you probably sleep way better, but like from time to time, what keeps you up? thinking oh my gosh okay so back in the day i used to lose lose sleep over roofs um roofs roofs and like i would worry about an inspection report or Mm. somebody that bought one of our flips like coming back and suing us because we didn't we took out like a load-bearing wall and like this this inspector didn't catch it and they're going to come back and get us like i used to always worry about how something that we that we tried to do our very best and like we really we really do like we I don't want to lose sleep so I try to like overcompensate and make sure we get the inspection we get the structural engineer we get this double checked I'd rather spend you know five hundred dollars and sleep at night than than not but I still would worry like this roof is leaking oh my gosh I would worry so much about that stuff uh, I actually lost so much more sleep over our real estate business than I ever did with medicine like. <laughs> Which is so silly. I was telling you earlier, like, oh, go to the hospital and be like, this is a break. Like, people are just dying. Great. <laughs> this is science. And then <laughs> I can I can control a lot of this stuff, right? Let me just do these things. But I don't know. I think the uncertainty is really what I lost sleep over the most in our flipping business. Like, and wholesaling. Is that contract going to close? Like, I really need that contract to close. You know, I worry about our employees and are they getting everything they need? Uh, you know, are they getting paid enough and have enough opportunity to stay and to work full time? You know, are they bought in? Are you know, do they get it? You know, things like that. I would I would lose sleep over. Um, now I I lose sleep over like our product, right? Like left main, like okay, thinking about improvements or you know what should I what should we do next? What what does the market need? What does Better Path Homes need? Mm-hmm. You know, is everybody growing? Like, are, is this helping people grow their business? What can I do to help people grow their business more? Now the market's a little bit unstable. Like, how can we bet? How can we get better? So I think about that now. I thankfully I don't lose as much sleep as I used to, you know, ten years ago. But I still do. I mean, I I think that that's a normal part of the experience of being a business owner who really cares. Um, but 
what's helped me not lose sleep is really disconnecting my phone from my nightstand. Like I put it in the bathroom now, so I don't nice. like reach over and like look at stuff. I just put it away. I'm like, I'm not gonna look at it until like after I have a cup of coffee. So I've, I kind of give myself like little challenges to like when I'm gonna re-engage, and mm. I sleep so much better because of that. You know, I don't like wake up and check my email. Uh, I do sometimes, but I challenge myself. I'm like, okay, my phone's over there. I'm not gonna pick it up and look at anything until I finish my coffee, which is just maybe like a 15 minute challenge. Mm-hmm. But um, the constant connectivity and like checking on stuff actually produces more worry for me. So if I don't check, generally things are okay and I sleep better. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, <laughs> but, it does. Yeah, that makes but, a lot of sense. But yeah, <laughs> it's kind of interconnected, I think, with like the ability to double check. Like at first that's better, but then it becomes worse because then mm-hmm. you don't stop thinking mm-hmm. about it and then you go to sleep thinking about it. And mm-hmm. then you wake up, that's the first thing you think about. Oh, let me follow up on this thing. Um, so distancing yourself i i have to constantly challenge myself to do that do you do like a similar thing when you're spending time with your kids where you like put your phone on airplane mode or back in the bathroom yeah i really try it's a definite struggle i am addicted to my phone (laughs) i really am it's it's bad you know it's so connected and um the notifications and i i have to be so intentional about it and to be honest i think i'm still kind of like rewiring my brain on how to do that um so all this time that I was, you know, building these companies, I was working at the hospital, right? And mm. I was on call. So surgery, like you're like I was on call from Friday morning at eight AM, seven AM actually, until Monday at noon. So when you're on call, you have to have your phone on you and like every notification you have to check, like it's a patient or it's a nurse or somebody calling you for orders or stuff that literally somebody could be bleeding. Like you you always have to have it on your phone. So I mean I was at that I was at that practice for ten years and growing business where I got all these notifications all the time. And when I was with my children, I had to have my phone on me because I would have the hospital called and I had to answer a question. So it has been, it is so deeply ingrained. Like it's sick, like how deeply ingrained I am to like, where is my phone? What does that notification mean? Mm-hmm. And even now I get like, I get like a little ping of anxiety if I, I hear it ping in the background and I'm not <laughs> running to it. Yeah. Even my kids are like, mom, your phone's ringing. And I'm like, I don't, it's okay that it's ringing. And they're like, it's ringing though. Like, That's okay, honey. It's okay that it's ringing. You know, like they're programmed too. They're like, shh, you gotta be quiet when my mom's phone's ring because that could be the hospital or it could be whatever, right? Yeah. So I just left the hospital in May. So we're what, seven months out? Wow. And I'm still really working on it. It's, I'm trying to be really, really intentional. And I, I hope that um, my family would say that I'm better. Um, I ask them all the time, is it better? Is it getting better, Zach? Is it better? <laughs> Jenny, my best friend and also the COO of Left Main, like we were just talking about that yesterday. I was like, is it better? Am I better? She's like, you are so much better. I'm like, okay, I'm trying. That's awesome. <laughs> but I am nowhere near where I want to be. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm not as good at, the, at those boundaries as I want to be. So I just start giving myself these little challenges mm-hmm. and then like feeling it like, okay, I'm just going to wait 15 minutes before I respond. It's okay to wait 15 minutes before you respond or before you pick up your phone. Mm-hmm. So I'm still working on it very, very much, but I'm getting there little by little. And I'm, I hope, I hope a year from now I'll be, you know, that much better. Mm-hmm. But I think it's such a long process to reprogram that response rate to ping notifications and checking on stuff because it's so accessible and it's right mm-hmm. there on your, you know, your back pocket or, you know, so, yeah. so yeah, um, that's a big personal goal of mine is those boundaries with my kids, especially because mm-hmm. You know, I know they notice now that mm. they're older, they notice that I'm not present 
or I'm not totally here with them or that, you know, I'm listening to them and checking an email like, oh, it's so inappropriate. It's so bad. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I'm really trying. I'm not, I'm nowhere near where I want to be, but hopefully this time next mm-hmm. year I'll be closer, you know? Yeah. Would you say that it is better to establish healthy boundaries earlier on in your professional career? Like say where we are right now and it's like, I'm very in tune with my phone to the point that it's like, I, I can respond in a matter of 30 seconds to yeah. any problem because my justification is that they need me right now. Right. If I don't provide that answer, I'm holding them up and I'm holding myself up. Yep. If I took adopted the mindset that you're moving towards, is that better? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's just years of programming for me yeah. at this point that I have to reverse. Yeah. Um, if you're at the beginning of this, I would definitely recommend those healthy boundaries. And it's okay if people wait. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Give them an opportunity to make a decision. Make mm-hmm. an, give them an opportunity to be empowered. You know, I, I think what's what's really wonderful, and just in general leadership advice, this has been really helpful, is telling people what they're what they can make, what decisions they can make all by themselves. Like, hey, it's you can make a decision about you know moving up the closing date. You can always move up the closing date. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. You can always do that. And then if that comes up, they're like, I'm going to move up the closing date, right? You need to ask me before you spend more than ten thousand dollars on something or more than whatever it is, right? Like before you try to do something, $10,000 is kind of the limit. Like don't make a decision about something more than that without me. And then if they need to spend $500 on postage, go ahead, spend $500 on postage. You don't have to ask me about that. That's totally fine. I trust you to make that decision, right? Mm -hmm. I think that empowers people too around you and they can figure it out. And sometimes they'll solve the problem before you even get a chance to reach them, Mm -hmm. you know? And I will say that was one good thing about being at the hospital. Like I said, like the mission trips, like I'm not available at these times. And for the most part for me, it was the weekend, right? Mm-hmm. Like all day Friday and then the weekend. And the weekend, people generally didn't reach out or were working. It was totally reasonable for me to think they weren't working on the weekend, right? But anyway, so they could not reach me on a Friday. So if you called me on a Friday, like you better be like in a very bad situation because I'm actually dealing with life and death right now. So like you better have like, <laughs> like so the con- the poor contractor who called me at like five o'clock for their paycheck when they didn't, you know, give me their scope of work and time or complete the work until like five o'clock and they've got to pay their crew and what they would get an earful. Like I would be really pissed, you know, because that was mm-hmm. my boundary. Like I'm at the hospital. I cannot be distracted on these on, at these times. And that helped me like hold that boundary. Now I was still very much on call and involved and being pinged and blah, blah, blah. But that boundary was fine for the business. Mm-hmm. It still grew. Mm-hmm. It was still great. And they and people figured it out, right? Like if they called and I didn't pick up until I called them that way again on my way home, like they're like, oh, I figured it out. I'm like, okay, great. Good. You had the space to do that. That's wonderful. I'm sure you did the right thing. And if you didn't, we'll figure it out, you know? Do they ever just reach out to Zach if you couldn't respond? I always responded quicker than Zach. So oh. I generally was the path. But yes, they would reach out to Zach too. But he he's funny. He he has always responded a lot less and it stressed me out. <laughs> he's like, well, I'm not ready to take that call yet. I'm in like my zone. I'm like, how do you not pick it up? <laughs> and then I said, well, if you don't pick it up, they call me. You know that, right? Like, so yeah. you pick it up so they don't call me. <laughs> so, but yeah, he's been so much better about those boundaries. I'm so jealous about that. He really, he's really good. But um, I think that the business plus the on-call stuff is really what like really hurt my brain, you know? Mm-hmm. But how yeah, would you, start the boundaries yeah. now. How would you say your leadership style has changed over the years of running your business and up to this point? Because what it seems like to me is that you're very down-to-earth, relatable, you're empathetic, 
and you are all about empowering other people to make yeah. their own decisions and it's just like I can feel all those things in your con- like just having a conversation with you yeah. and I can see how people would respect you a whole lot and oh. want to follow you so how has it like evolved over time that's kind of what I want to know oh well thank thank you for that by the way um I think I've always been that way um I've I like to think that I am, I've always been very approachable and accessible for everybody on the Mm -hmm. team, like open door policy. I don't care who you are. You can reach out to me at any time and ask me a question. Um, you can, we can have be on a zoom call, you whatever it is. Right. Um, sometimes it'll, it's difficult to schedule those things with me, but I'm always available for that. And I always want to hear the truth. That has always been super important Mm -hmm. to me as a leader. Like I need you to be able to talk to me about what's happening. Like in your personal life, if that's affecting your business, mm-hmm. if affecting your role, like I'd rather know that than have you like hide it and then not be able to solve some sort of problem. Like mm-hmm. whatever it is, just tell me the truth, what's happening. We're going to figure it out together. Um, I think what's probably changed a little over the years is my meddling in other people's mm-hmm. goals. Um, in the, in the beginning, I would very, I would do it in the sense of like, we're doing this together. Like I'm bought into your goal too. I'm going to help you with your goal. Uh, and then I would kind of like step on toes or like almost disable people because I would swoop in and do something, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I have to sit on my hands and I have to let people, you know, struggle with the goal. Right. And I'm here if they need me, I'm here always. Well, I'm always here and and ready to make suggestions or I'll ping them and say like, Hey, let's talk about how it's going instead of me just doing it. You know, that was really challenging in the beginning. I would just do it. If I see a ball being dropped, I would grab it before it hit the floor. And now I had, now I let balls hit the floor and that sucks. Like it really sucks when the when a ball is dropped and you know, sometimes homeowners feel that sometimes, you know, people at left main feel that, but like every time we get better, like that's what makes the team better. That's what makes the operation better. Um, because it's not just me catching all these, you know, all these dropping balls, all these emergencies, it actually grows the whole system, you know? And I think what's really hard for me is I hate messing up. Like I hate it. I'm a perfectionist. I want, I want to fix everything all the time. Um, and I want to be all things to all people. Like I want people to to be able to depend on me. And it's really hard when you become an extension of your team and then the team drops the ball, Yeah. but they never get that feeling of reward of fixing something or that like dopamine hit that I get when I solve a problem. Like if I solve all the problems, they don't get that dopamine hit. So that's what's so important. So it's, it sucks. It sucks to mess up, but I think we have to, and your team has to, you know, so I've learned that along the way of my leadership journey. And I think, I think we've been, we have a really strong team because of that. You know, they feel that accountability and they, and they also feel the the trust, like that it's like, you're not going to get fired if you mess up. It's okay to mess up. (laughs) Like we'll figure it out. Okay. What happened? Like, what do you need? What are your obstacles? What do we, what do we need to solve systematically? And then they get to be part of the solution. Um, and yeah, instead of me just solving it for them. And yeah. So I think that's why our team has been, uh, has been able to constantly and consistently level up, you know, is that that's the approach, the leadership approach. One of my favorite things that you just said was like, I was so fixated on it when you said, I just need to sit on my hands. Yes. <laughs> and it's yes. like one of the big things that had changed me a couple of years back was when one of my friends had told me, Hey, um, life is like having your palms open and closed. Like what you do with your hands matter a whole lot. You know, when you have your, your palms open, yeah. like you're, you're able to allow God to give and take away. Yeah. And when you are holding on to things with closed palms, trying to control it with all your might, 
you're suffocating those opportunities, you're suffocating those people, anything that you're holding so tightly and you're refusing to let God have control of it. Yeah. They kind of die slowly. They get suffocated over time, whether you know it or not. And they're not able to grow freely and breathe, right? And when you said that, oh, maybe I just need to sit on my hands, right? And just see how things play out. And if the ball drops, just be okay with it, knowing that other people are going to grow and get better in that process. Yeah. And it's like, wow, like what we do with our hands affect the process a whole lot, whether it's us becoming the bottleneck, it p- plays a difference in whether we are the bottleneck and whether our team grows. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it becomes less about you and more about the team. Mm-hmm. And I think those are the characteristics of the best leaders are the ones that it's not about them. It's about the collective. And I really aspire to be that kind of leader. That's what I want to be. I mm-hmm. I want to shrink away as others grow and in, into their into their dreams, into, mm-hmm. into their accomplishments, you know? Um, and how can I, how can I give that to them if I'm holding on to everything? Mm-hmm. So like, for example, this, this is like a real life thing right now. We just had a meeting this week. One of the departments at left main mm-hmm. is $20,000 over budget mm-hmm. right now. And I know what to do. I'm like, okay, I know what I'm going to, I would, I want to do, but I've got a leader in that department. Right. So I'm like, now we have to have a meeting next week and I have to tell him you're twenty thousand dollars over budget. What do you want to do? What should we do here? And mm. let him do it, right? Wow. And I'm just going like, okay, let's. I want to hear what you think, right? Because I have my opinion, right? And I'm not going to tell him what my opinion is. I want to hear what your fresh thoughts are for being in the department, for knowing the team the way you do, for knowing the obstacles the way you do. What do we do, right? And now he gets all that glory when his department does well. He gets to make that choice. Even sometimes if it's a difficult choice, you know, when you're 20000 over budget, you got to like cut something. That sucks. No one wants to cut. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to add, right? So now he's going to get that reward when he fixes it. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the numbers. I'm telling you we're, we're over budget. What are we going to do together? You know, instead of mm-hmm. me just telling you, this is how you're going to need to do, run your department. This is yeah. what you need to do. Now he's like disempowered. He's like, well, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Right? Now he's like, he's being told what to do instead of him coming up with what we need to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like changing yeah. the yeah, dynamic yeah, yeah. completely from like resentment to empowerment. Oh, I love that. I don't care where you are in your life. It's going to happen where you have to choose to to empower instead of take over control. And you yeah. know, it comes up all the time. When do you step in or when do you step in with your opinion um, when after you've heard their side, their thoughts? When, when the train is going to crash. <laughs> okay. Like before the train crashes. You know, leadership and... And child rearing are like really similar, right? Yeah. Like, I'll let you get hurt. I'm not gonna let you die. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, but I, but I gotta let my kid. Like, you know, I can't prevent them from not falling or tr- bumping into something. Like, I cannot prevent that. Yeah. Nor should I, because they'll never learn how to like walk if they don't even try. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I think that's a very difficult balance. Like, what is the severity of me not interfering here? And then choosing when to interfere. And and there are moments where people want to be told. They're like, I don't know what to do, right? Or they don't see an issue. And I see it because we have all this experience, right? Like mm-hmm. we've built it. I've been here for, you know, nine, 10 years. I've run lots of companies. I've done lots of consulting. I, I, I know some stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And if I see the train coming and they don't, I'm certainly going to say it, right? Um, and it's for the best interest of the company, which is in their best interest. But that doesn't mean that, I'm going to let them do something that I disagree with, right? If it's if I don't think it's going to be catastrophic, like 
I'll let you try and maybe you're right. I hope you're right. Like then you like, it's even better, right? So it's very collaborative. It's not like I'm over here and you guys are all by yourself somewhere and like working. It's still very collaborative, but I'm trying to not choke people with my opinion too. Cause I have so many. Yeah. Yeah. I really do. And, um, I'll let them, I'll let them bump, but I, I won't let them die. <laughs> Wow, I'm feeling so honored right now. I'm getting like this amazing leadership coaching <laughs> in the moment. And parent like, and parenting coaching as well. I was there like, you go. Yeah. just let them go until they get, I mean, okay, let me reiterate for the people. It's just like, I'm willing to let them get hurt, but I'm not willing to let, let them, them die. die yeah. It was like, they may, they may not see the train, but I see the train. <laughs> yeah, and I think- That's awesome. And I think what, what people need is, and, and we take this for granted as, you know, founders right mm-hmm. of anything mm-hmm. is we can imagine the house that we're building but they can't they can't see that so we can jump into this project of building the house because we can see it what people want that are coming into your vision are coming into your your project whatever right is they want a really clear they want really clear guidelines. They want to know what the room looks like that they're going to be in. So they really need like measurables. They need objectives. They need all the structure around. You need to build that for them. Mm -hmm. That is your obligation as a leader. You have Mm -hmm. to build the structure, the process, the system, and tell them how that plays into the bigger picture. That is your responsibility. And then you have to let them do it, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And And like we're reporting back, like you're still a part of it. Mm-hmm. But that is your obligation. And I think if you can do that, then you can empower people successfully. You can't just bring people on and then just empower them to build the room. They can't be successful. They don't get it the way that you do. Yeah. You know, so you you are only able to to successfully enable <laughs> people if you've communicated all those details around it and set them up for success. Where did you learn all of this? Which Fail- is, I know it's failure. I know it's, massive oh, from failure. failure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> failure is what teaches you the best for sure oh i mean i when we first started like i didn't communicate as much as i needed to because i didn't even know what i needed to communicate mm-hmm. i didn't even know what the policies and de- data and systems should be like i was still just trying to figure that out you know so a lot of the people in the beginning like struggled mm-hmm. because they didn't have that framework and it was really them telling me like hey i don't know what we're doing and i was like what do you mean you don't know no i i, I don't get it and I was like, oh my gosh, you don't get it. Like, this is what, this is where we need to come back to. Like, mm-hmm. We need to have a policy and procedure. And I internally do that. Like I'm very systems based and it's in my head, but it's not communicated well, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's where mm-hmm. things come in, like having policies documented, like where can people go for resources besides just you, you know, what is the yeah. system that they're operating in, you know? Thankfully, you know, you can set that up relatively quickly, especially if you're plugged into other communities like Collective Genius, for example, we were just talking about that, like amazing opportunity to be a part of that and just kind of inherit some systems Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then tweak it. You know, you don't have to even build all your systems all out of the gate. There's plenty of people there who, you know, are successful and have implemented it and like messed up along the way to figure out this system. You can just adopt that relatively quickly and that helps your team so much, you know? Yeah. 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 Do you have any last questions? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think my last question would be, um, do you have any practical advice for building culture in companies, especially when like the majority of the employees are virtual? Yeah, virtual is really hard. Um, we used to be all in person mm-hmm. until COVID, and then we, except for a couple of VAs, and then we went all virtual. 
uh, a better path. And Left Main is all virtual too. Like people are all over the U.S. Mm-hmm. and Canada and in Mexico and wow. Philippines, like um, everywhere. So uh, it's really, really hard to have strong culture virtually. There's so much unspoken stuff that happens when we're all together, like body language, tone of voice, you know, even eye contact or like, hey, you know, whatever. All that stuff is is really challenging to reproduce in a virtual environment. So it just takes a ton of intention. Uh, I really like Slack. I don't know. Did you guys use yeah, Slack? Yeah, we use Slack. Yeah, I love Slack. We have like coffee roulette in Slack, which is like just like a free tool that like connects you with people and makes you sit down and like have coffee and talk about stuff. Um, we do open Zoom rooms where like we'll just have, we'll all just be working and then like just enter a Zoom room and then we like, oh, what's that thing called again? And then we all just like work like that. Um, when we have meetings with a team, it's cameras on all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, there are times when like that's an exception, of course. Like if you feel fluish and you're just <laughs> barely hanging on to a thread and this is like all your, fine, turn it off the camera, right? But um, being really intentional about turning on the camera at mm-hmm. least so you can get a little more feedback from people. Mm-hmm. And that also stirs conversation. Like, for example, someone was wearing like a funny sweater the other day. Mm-hmm. Like, what is it you're wearing? You know, like, what is that? <laughs> and then it just kind of like, it makes it less clinical, you know, and more yeah. personal. And yeah. you see what's in the background. You see someone's kid come up and like give them a hug or whatever. And like all that stuff is really good for culture. Um, all hands meetings are really important too so that everyone gets on a call together at a scheduled time and talks about what's going on in the company and communicate swag goes a really long way like virtually believe it or not um that is huge mm-hmm. like sending people t-shirts with the company stuff and like you know coffee mug or stickers or like little things people feel connected by that by like having almost like mm-hmm. a uniform you know mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i'm wearing my shirt today you know yeah um that goes a really really long way to connect people they feel like they're involved because they have like your company thing. I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. It helps me too. I feel like solidarity in that. You know, like we have these like little, for example, left main mugs that have our logo and we like cheers each other. Like, oh, you got your mug. I don't know. It's just like little things like that that go a long way. It's just so much intention. Like you really Mm -hmm. have to think about it to put those things into place. And they're so important. Yeah. 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 I want to ask you like, do you have any last thoughts when it comes to young aspiring entrepreneurs who are trying to transition from that hustle culture to being more systematic? Like, how do you go from zero to one as, you know, Jimmy Freeland, he's responsible for zero to one all yeah. the time. Yeah. Like, how do you go from zero to one from being a super hustler to being systematic, whether that's bringing on a team or, you know, implementing these processes that you talk about? Yeah, I think I think you exit the hustler phase when you can predict what's mm. going to happen. Like I need 15 leads to equal a deal. Like when you start knowing what you need in order Mm -hmm. to make the result in a consistent way, or at least be able to predict this should happen if this happens, because I've seen that before, or we have this like some sort of information, right? So when you're hustling, you need to document stuff. Like you need to keep track of stuff, Mm -hmm. even though that feels like crazy to do because you're in the middle of all the chaos write you gotta write stuff down and like count stuff Mm -hmm. in some way i don't care if it's an excel spreadsheet i don't care if you have manila folders (laughs) like just kind of start putting things together so you can start counting because you won't be able to exit unless you do you just plain all won't like how many phone calls did you make how many offers did you make you know how many appointments did you go on right like just document that stuff because then you're going to use all that data to be able to predict and once you can predict now you know how to spend money Mm -hmm. now you know how to hire now you know how to like elevate out, you know? So yeah. that's the best advice I can give is try to put yourself in a position where you'll be able to predict. Yeah. 
And could you speak lastly of the different type of offerings that you have and how people can get a hold of you? <laughs> sure. So my big, big passion project right now is Left Main. So Left Main is uh, the CRM that I built for Better Path Homes, which is our mother company, which is amazing. That's like the heart of everything is Better Path Homes. But Left Main is a um, is a CRM software mm-hmm. that was built on Salesforce. So um, you can find that out about what that looks like, what that system looks like. It's basically like a pre-built systems operations you know you use it you would you agree with that oh i love it yeah quick synopsis is like you inherit some process and systems for lead management sales management operations management transaction management we have some dispo stuff in there it's really cool we just released a direct mail integration (laughs) which is like super cool you can just click a couple buttons and schedule mail to go out for really really cheap Mm -hmm. Uh, you get bulk pricing even if you want to send out one letter and stuff so i'm really pumped about that (laughs) recent release um, leftmainrei.com is where you can read about that. If you want to get a hold of me, Stephanie at leftmainrei.com is my email. At Steph Betters is my Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Um, you can reach out any way you prefer. I will be there. I'm happy to talk about all this stuff at any time with others. Um, I just want people to feel like it's accessible to them and mm-hmm. um, it's really not as complicated as we make it out to be. Yeah. You know? Yeah, Stephanie has been super amazing in terms of um, being responsive. Like, thank you so much for even responding to my Facebook <laughs> message. I, I I scheduled another podcast like for later today because I didn't know we were going to be able to get you. But then you responded. And then he responded. I was like, wow, we got two podcasts. We went from zero to two in like a matter of four hours. I was like, I can't believe we got Stephanie Betters on the podcast. <laughs> so if you guys want to reach out to Stephanie, hit her up on Facebook because that's where most of the people find out about her. But expand her following as well on Instagram. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. So thank you so much for being You're a guest welcome. on our Not a Genius podcast. Thank you. Yes. Where it really doesn't take people knowing everything from the very, very beginning or being this so so called genius or being the smartest person in the room is just having the willingness to learn and grow alongside other people. That's why we love what we do through this Not a Genius podcast. Yeah, so that's thanks. why I said yes. By the way, is because of what it was called. Oh, really? Yep. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Well, that's been the Not a Genius podcast with Stephanie Betters. We're signing out. Peace. <laughs> okay, that was great. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're yeah. welcome. Oh, so good. Oh, good. So good. good.